0: Hey, welcome to the Helpful Woman podcast, the fastest growing podcast in women's health. Today's Monday, January 9th, 2023. So if you've been listening to the podcast regularly, you know that we've been doing a bunch of podcasts on preterm birth and for the past two weeks, peri-viable birth. I thought that to finish this series, it would be fitting to hear what these situations are like in real life, so to speak. Meaning not how we doctors think about it, but what it's like for the patient and family to go through it. So today and next week, we're going to be dropping high-risk birth stories we recorded a few years ago about periviable birth. Today, you're going to hear Andrew Cromer's story about the birth of his 24-week twins. And the following week, you're going to hear Simi Hersko's story on the birth of her 23-week twins. Very similar situations, but completely different stories. But that's what it's actually like. There's a wide range of how each story can unfold, and no two stories are the same. All right, thanks for listening. Have a great week. See you next Monday. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. All right, Andrew Cromer, thank you so much for coming on uh, the podcast to talk about high-risk birth stories. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me.
0: Andrew, you and uh, your wife, Carrie are in Michigan and Grand Rapids, Michigan, correct? Correct. Yeah. I've been to Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's a great town. I've flown into the Gerald R. Ford International Airport several times and uh, then driven south down the coast. So I really, I like that part of the world.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a really pretty place. Uh, I was born in Grand Rapids. Um, I've lived here my whole life. My wife's from Grand Rapids. She lived in Chicago for a little bit, but we both really love the the west side of Michigan.
0: And Andrew, you and I know each other because you're one of the uh, the big poobahs at DLM, and, <laughs> and we we work together professionally, which is great. And you volunteered uh, to tell your story as we were planning this this idea of a podcast because you said, you know, I have you know I have a story and let's Let's talk about it,
1: yep, as you were putting together the the podcast and bouncing ideas it it fell right in to the the situation that my wife and I found ourselves in so i can I can just drive, dive right in if you'd like, so tell us what
0: what do we like what year is it, and tell us where you are uh individually and as a family, as a couple, like what's going on in your life, sort of when the pregnancy started.
1: My wife and I were married October 22nd of 2016. We had been married a little, you know, moving into our first year. We, we knew before we got married that we wanted to have kids. And so we had been trying. And so we found out in May of 2017 that we were pregnant. Um, And so we started like with normal couples, you know, you start scheduling the different doctor's appointments. We went in for our first check-in appointment where they do the heartbeat. They found the heartbeat of of the baby and told us that we were having a healthy baby. And so from that point, uh, we scheduled, you know, the follow-up appointment where you find the ultrasound um, at 20 weeks. The surprising part, when we went in for that initial checkup is that I told the doctor, I was like, I think my wife is having twins. And she said, well, you're crazy. And I said, no, I, th- I think we're having twins just because of the size of her stomach. Um, and just, it seemed just higher. But we scheduled our our 20-week uh, ultrasound appointment. When we went in for that ultrasound appointment, um, as soon as they put the machine on and started, you know, you know looking around, it, was, it became very clear that uh, we were having twins. Um, we found out that day that we were having identical uh, twin boys.
0: So not not so crazy after all, huh? Yeah, no, <laughs> I, uh,
1: I, I, every time I see that doctor, I was like, yeah, I, I told you from the very beginning. But we were thrilled. My uh, grandpa on my mom's side, uh, he was a twin, fraternal twins, and I know that. Um, identical twins are, are, um, genetic, but we were thrilled. Um, the ultrasound lady was, uh, telling us that she doesn't always get that reaction, but we, <laughs> we were just overjoyed to have not one baby, but, uh, you know, two, two baby boys
0: at your, uh, doctor's practice. The first routine ultrasound they do is at 20 weeks.
1: I think what they said is they would have done one earlier if they would have known we had two twins, but, sure. uh, with it being just the, the assumption that it was just the one child with the heartbeat, that it was uh, scheduled at yeah, twenty weeks.
0: Right. How How old was your wife at the time? So
1: my wife, she is thirty two now, so she would have been twenty nine.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, the chance of having twins, you know, in your first pregnancy and spontaneous pregnancy, you know, you're talking about one in three hundred. Give or take, okay. And so it's it's not uh, it's not that common, but okay. So you're 20 weeks. You find out you're having twins. And did you find it at that time if they were boys or girls?
1: Uh, yep. Yeah, we found out that they were boys at that time. So we planned the uh, you know, we did the stereotypical uh, gender reveal. What was uh pretty funny is so my little brother, uh, we're 17 months apart. He actually was having a child at the same time. So my wife's due date. And uh, my sister-in-law, Ashley's due date, they're only like three days apart. And so we decided to do a a combined gender reveal just for immediate family. Mm -hmm. Um, The twist that we knew is that we weren't just having one baby, but we were having two. So in the video, uh, our wives uh, smashed pies in our face with uh, whether we were having a boy or a girl. And then we pulled out a second pie and I just smashed my brother at that point. telling them that we were having you know not just one baby boy but uh
0: um we were having two so the pie was filled with like like blue or pink cream or frost or whatever
1: yeah so it was uh the white topping and then underneath was uh blue or pink so uh my little brother uh he ended up having uh a baby boy also so
0: oh, a lot lot of blue
1: yeah a lot of blue which he his uh, uh he actually has four kids um mm-hmm. uh, at the time he had two girls uh he ended up having another girl after that but so he has a lot of pink, but that was uh that day it was all blue.
0: Wow. And so when you found out at that time, you know, when you and Carrie found out that you're having twins or identical twins, how much did you know at that time about, you know, what is the obviously it's a lot of fun, it's exciting as you said, and it's two instead of one and it's, you know, all this whirlwind of excitement. But obviously on like on our end on the doctor end, there's all this you know, concern, like, oh, you know, twins, increase risk of this and increase risk of that. And, you know, preterm birth and the identical and the twin twin transfusion, all these things are gonna be swirling through the doctor's head. How much of that did you know at the time? Did they like drop it on you that day? Or did you sort of, did it unfold over the next several weeks?
1: It unfolded uh, over the next couple of weeks. So when we immediately found out at the ultrasound, um, you know, it was all just joy over the uh, next, I mean, we started scheduling, I think it was weekly appointments or maybe not that frequent that early, but, uh, it was pretty regular going in for ultrasound appointments. They started educating us on the risk of, you know, just having twins and not only twins, but identical twins. And so we, we started to, you know, educate ourselves, uh, in hindsight, I wish I would have, you know, done a little bit more research, um, and familiarized myself a little bit more, but at, at, we were just over overjoyed with the fact that we were, that we were having twin boys. And it was it was fairly smooth sailing. Um, my wife didn't really have uh, a lot of uh, her pregnancy. She didn't have a lot of morning sickness. Um, she didn't have a lot, wasn't in a lot of a pain or any of those just not common things that you hear with, with pregnancy. Um, I would say that my wife's pregnancy was was fairly common. Uh, Her stomach was quite large, uh, you know, with the twins, but that was, everything seemed to progress pretty normal.
0: And was she, was she working at the time? And and if she was, did she have to like take off work or change her life at all when she found out she was having twins?
1: She did not. She was told that um, she could progress. So uh, my uh, wife is the store director of Target at one of the stores local here. So um, she continued on with her job and progressed kind of with her uh, normal life. I mean, still took prenatals. You know the list of items that they tell you you can't eat when you know you're pregnant. So she was very strict in following those and not uh, no strenuous exercise. Just uh, very very diligent in keeping up with the the advice that we were given uh, okay. for any pregnant mom.
0: Okay, so she's so she's doing well, feeling well. You know, doing her thing. Uh, you find you have twins. You have more appointments. And then what happened?
1: The beginning of that week, um, our world kind of started to turn. So on. September thirtieth uh we found out uh my older brother uh had committed uh suicide. he had taken his life, and so we had started the the preparations of uh dealing with that with planning the funeral and so a couple of days after that, uh, we were in the process of planning the funeral um, with my with my family and uh, my wife believes that she was having contractions it wasn't wasn't feeling great. Um, they had told her. I think they're referred to as the Braxton Hicks, where they're not really contractions, but they feel like contractions. So she started having those, and so we we you know we took those very serious. So we went to our local hospital, it was the same hospital my wife ended up uh, giving birth at. Um, but we went there. They sent us to the triage unit where they monitored uh, my wife. We had actually had a, an ultrasound, uh, I believe, three days before we had gone there. Everything was okay. And while we were at the triage unit, we were there for about, uh, I want to say four or five hours. It was quite a long time. We uh, They were monitoring my wife. Uh, they did another ultrasound. They were a little worried because uh, it seemed like the um, size of my wife's stomach had grown. And then that was uh, an indication that there could be trouble. But they did the ultrasound and everything seemed normal. So uh, at 6 p.m. that day, they uh, sent us home. So we went home that night. You know, ate dinner, uh, kind of progressed. My wife still wasn't feeling great. Uh, they had told us when we left that if she had any more, uh, what they believed to be the the Braxton Hicks, to call back. My wife is a uh, uh, she's a strong, tough lady. So uh, she uh, believed she was having more of the Braxton Hicks. So you know, they kind of progressed. Uh, they were kind of infrequent. So we thought it was that. Um, we weren't uh, completely sure. They they continued to progress. So we ended up calling back to the hospital. Um, we had told them, you know, we were just there, you know, at this point six hours ago. They had given an ultrasound. They had, you know, monitored everything. They said everything was good, but she's still having, you know, these pains. Uh, they told us to come back in. So we went back into the hospital, uh, back to the same, the triage unit. And there, um, they started, you know, checking. And it was at that point that they realized that my wife was uh, dilated. I don't remember the exact amount that she was at that point. Um, Before, they didn't want to check to see how dilated she was, because they said that that could spur on labor. But uh, yeah, so at that point, um, that's when we knew, okay, this things are definitely not right. Uh, Because at that point, she was 24 weeks in uh five days when when this occurred so very very early on we never dreamed that you know that she would potentially be going in labor that early on so we we knew that with then they had told us that with twins that um uh, that they were going to be born early but um we were instructed more in the like uh 36 37 maybe 35 week range not anywhere in the you know 24 uh 25 uh week range so, um, at that point, things started to progress, uh, fairly quickly. So once they realized that my wife was dilated, they moved us in the hospital, uh, to a room. Uh, they got a hold of my wife's doctor, um, at the time. Actually, still is her doctor, but got a hold of her doctor. Um, and then they started, uh, administering, um, uh, certain drugs to slow or to, uh, to prolong the, the labor, trying to make sure that the boys would stay in the womb, um, as long as possible. I don't remember the exact flu, uh, um, the, <laughs> yeah, the drugs okay. that they gave her, but they gave, uh, my wife, uh, one of the drugs, which they say is like giving, it's basically flu in a bag, they called it. Yeah. Magnesium probably. Young.
0: It's probably the yeah. magnesium. Yeah. That's pretty rough. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. so
1: they gave her that. And it wasn't only a few minutes after they gave her that. uh, The doctor had left the room. And my wife said, "Um, I think I peed my pants. And the doctor was, as she was (laughs) leaving out the door, she said, no, you didn't. And my wife's like, no, I think I I peed my pants. And she's like, no, your water just broke. So she came back because, you know, normal people just don't pee their pants.
0: I want to stop you right there just because I want to ask you, you know, at this moment in time, right? So you're you guys, you know, you're 24 and a half weeks pregnant. You're in the hospital. She's in labor either before her water breaks or after water breaks. And obviously you just, you know, gotten this traumatic news of your brother dying by suicide. And I'm just want to I want to see two questions. The first question is, at that time, what was your understanding of what would happen with the babies if they were born in the next couple of days? Did they was it was it your impression that it was hopeless? Was it your impression that it was hopeful? Or was it your impression you didn't even know it wasn't even being discussed at that time? It was just such a whirlwind. That's like the first thing I wanted to ask you.
1: You know, I was running through all the scenarios in my head as soon as they said that she was going into labor and I knew how early it was. um, Well, I hadn't done a lot of research. I know that, you know, you don't hear a lot of uh, success stories of of babies born that early. So I, um, I was losing it. And so I was, I was crying and uh, my wife, uh, she grabbed me by the hand And she said, calm down, calm down, Andy. It's going to be okay. And I said, okay, okay, we're going to be okay. And, uh, so she, uh, definitely the, uh, the tough one, out of the two, because, um, and that's, that's a tribute to her. Um, she is a very glass half full, very positive person. And so in the midst of all of the chaos going on, you know, she was, uh, really holding it together and, and thinking the best. I, at the time, uh, was going to all uh, of the, uh, worst case scenarios.
0: Yeah. And did the, did the doctors give you any numbers at that time? Did they say, I mean, cause again, it, it's, Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. There's a lot of things going on. But did anyone say, you know, if they're born, this is the likelihood, this is what to expect? Or was it sort of like that wasn't yet discussed?
1: They did tell us that they were trying to prolong uh, the labor as long as possible so the lungs could develop. So they started giving my wife steroids to try to help the the lung growth. And then they also uh, were talking about the next, you know, kind of decisions that we had to make that were quickly where it was with my wife going into labor. Um, whether she was going to have a natural birth or if they were going to do a C-section. Right. And then, so they started going over the different risk of, you know, of the two scenarios. Um, We elected, uh, you know, based on their guidance to to have the C-section, the the emergency C-section, because they just said it it really uh, increased the likelihood of a healthy delivery of the two children and that they would have the best chance of survival with the the C-section. So we knew, trying to remember exactly all the conversations of that day, but Um, they were very direct with us, but, you know, in a very positive, I guess, way. And so it was, we knew, we knew that there was a lot of danger, but we didn't, um, I guess, fully comprehend all of the, all of the ramifications until we were kind of through it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a really difficult, obviously for many reasons, it's a very difficult situation. And I know that as, you know, as a doctor, when that situation, there's, there's so much to talk about and there's so many. You know facts and figures and decisions and this, but it's a it's hard to do it at that time because, you know, number one, it's it, it could be seen as either very aggressive or morbid or, or whatever it is to talk about all the risks, and number two, it, it's hard for people to retain that information in such a you know high charged environment. So it's generally many conversations over as much time as you have and so it's hard so i'm just curious where you were and the the second question i wanted to ask you is just you're in this situation you guys pretty much you know everything is going great and then suddenly in you know 24 hours like an anvil's dropped on the two of you that your you know your your brother dies and now you know you're preterm labor and in the hospital and thinking about your babies what was that like for you guys emotionally in general? And obviously, you're you're saying you're very worried about your babies, and your wife's being very positive and optimistic, and you were sort of you know helping each other. But in a global perspective, what's going on in your in your heads at that time?
1: Our world was just spinning. Um, it, it, it started earlier in that week. I mean, we we went from um, earlier that day we were making funeral arrangements for my brother to you know going to the hospital, being sent home from the hospital, back at the hospital, and then. Uh once my wife went and, once her water broke, things moved quite quickly. And so we were just emotionally spent, but knowing that, you know, that we're just on the front end of this. In the next, you know, few hours we were gonna know what, what the outcome was gonna be, how the babies were gonna be doing from basically the time they gave my wife the drugs um to try to stop labor, then her water broke, to, you know, us deciding that we were having a C section. It was okay, you know, everybody that was in the room, my uh, mother-in-law was there. Uh, my little brother had, had come up to the hospital. Once he found out that we were going into labor, you know, it was me, you know, putting on scrubs and, and cleaning up because um, they were moving her into the operating room. And so it was it was just a, a lot of emotions just uh, all hitting us at one time.
0: Wow, wow. And, and how was the rest of your family, extended family, doing with all this as well? It must have been very traumatic for them i imagine
1: yeah it was it was extremely traumatic dealing with the the sudden loss of my brother to you know you're trying to plan a funeral to you know you then you find out that you're having two grandkids that are that are coming early so the amazing thing that through this whole experience um i have just phenomenal parents um an amazing support system the two of them and they just you know in in dealing with everything that our family had had gone through in just a very short period of time um, really just leaning on each other like i said my brother uh i had you know texted him like you know she's going into labor and uh you know he hopped in his car and he was there within just
0: a few minutes are both of your extended families in grand rapids at the time
1: yep well we're fortunate that um the hospital at the uh spectrum hospital in grand rapids uh we all live very close to it so my extended family all is in grand rapids and
0: uh my wife's
1: family as well
0: so you guys go into the operating room and they do the cesarean was she was carrie put to sleep or they did it with like a spinal epidural
1: they did it with a spinal epidural so uh it was crazy so we we move into the to the operating room and there is just a team of people yeah
0: probably um, like 50 people big, in the room yeah it's crazy yeah yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. so uh and then I'm in the room. So my wife is, I think it's a spinal mm-hmm. epidural because she just couldn't feel, she could talk and she was right, she's conscious, awake. but yep. And so uh, I'm actually up near her head. I'm over by the anesthesiologist and I don't remember his name, but he was just an amazing gentleman. You know, I'm, I'm losing it here. Just, you know, watching my wife, not knowing what's going on and he's talking to me. I like to run. So we we were just talking about running a little bit. I think he was just trying to, Keep my mind occupied while he, you know, was also, you know, dealing, you know, doing his job, but uh, also just really trying to help me get through the, this difficult time. It was an interesting. So as they were kind of cutting or uh, doing whatever they were doing, I couldn't see because there was a sheet. There, there was some fluid that uh, that came out, and so it hit the ground. And so he looked at it. And I've never been a person who does great with blood or uh, any of that stuff. And so. He just grabbed me by the shoulder and just backed up. And he said, yep, you're not going to want to look at that. I think you could read it on my face.
0: Yeah, the anesthesiologists are part, they're part for for C-sections. They're primarily doctors, but they're also uh, friends, social workers, uh, sometimes nurses, sometimes photographers, videographers. They have a lot of roles there because, you know, everyone's typically awake. And so they have to, it's, it's not like when they're doing, you know, heart transplants and someone's asleep for 12 hours, this is, you know, they're, they're talking to you guys, you know, you're in the room, she's awake. And so they have to really, it's a tough role for them, but yeah, they're really good at that and keeping everyone calm during uh the situation because the the ob's they're operating like they're you know they're they can't do that yeah
1: and so they had uh two teams of people uh so the the ob was operating on my wife which they referred to at the time you know twin a right uh which was my son uh jacob he was born first followed by uh twin b which was jonathan um, so they took them uh, immediately to these stations, which seemed to have, you know, these stations had probably four or five people, and they immediately went to work. That was the other moment, you know, as they were they were kind of talking to us, and this was uh, happening just very fast, that we knew that with Twin A, uh, Jacob, that there were some uh, various serious complications. It was uh, in, I think it was maybe after the fact that we had found out that, what had kind of caused the the problem was is that twin B Jonathan at the time was uh, stealing the nutrients from twin uh, A Jacob and so that he just wasn't getting any nutrients so at that point you know he that's what moved my life into labor but uh, that he had been struggling so he he was born with a, um, a brain hemorrhage. Both of them, actually, both uh, Jacob and Jonathan were born with a brain hemorrhage. But Jacob was in just really rough shape um, when they were delivered. Jonathan, uh, he was in a little bit better shape. In that case, uh, they actually, I got to go over and and cut the adult record. At the time, they asked me, you know, and I said, no, you know, I just want to make sure that they're okay. And they said, no, you no, know, we really think you should do this. So I went over and that was a really neat moment. Um, getting to cut the umbilical cord. But after that, um, both uh, Jacob and Jonathan were were rushed off to the NICU. So at that point, I went back over. Uh, I was by my wife. It was real interesting. So the anesthesiologist, uh, I think, was double booked or had another engagement uh, that he was supposed to be at. And so this nurse had came in and told him, you know, hey, we need, we need you. And he said, you know, he was talking to me. And he said, no, I'll be there. And uh, so she left a little bit and then she came back and she's like, no, we we need you to come now. And he said, you know, I'll be there. And so he made sure to help my, they were moving my wife from the uh, operating table onto a thing. So he helped, he helped her over. Uh, made sure I was okay, shook my hand, and then he left. And the thing is, is that uh, going through, um, you know, that traumatic of experience, and I think that, you know, just in general, the entire hospital experience, but that's just part of their everyday. Um, and so here, you know, this guy is, he doesn't know me. He's just, you know, helping through, helping me through one of the most difficult times and uh, calm, cool, and just a very uh, unique
0: individual. Wow. So, and you obviously, you've never seen him again, I assume, right?
1: No, nope, I, um, never. Uh, I didn't catch his name. Um, you know, we, uh, we tried to thank as many people, you know, in the hospital thing, but I, I didn't know his name. So uh, uh, just very fortunate for uh, our, our medical uh, industry and just the, the value that they provide.
0: The delivery's over, you go to the recovery room. At what point are you um, or you and Carrie able to see the babies to visit them? So to speak.
1: They moved my wife to the recovery area. She has to stay there. At that point, we don't know whether or not uh that Jacob or Jonathan uh have lived. We don't we didn't know what was going on with them. We wanted to see them together, so I went to the recovery with my wife. They then moved us upstairs to the NICU. So um uh, we got to go up there together. And um I wanna say that, that would have been that night. So um, or later in that day, so this all took place on October third um in the morning. I wanna say around seven they were born. and then I think we probably saw them like early, maybe like noonish. Um, I don't have the exact time, but it was we got to see them that day, and it was just absolutely mind blowing to to go in and see them. Jacob was born one pound five ounces, and Jonathan was born one pound nine ounces. But it was absolutely amazing just to see that the human body can be born that small with you know, lungs and organs and, and legs and fingers. And so it was just absolutely, they were hooked up. I, I'm not going to use the right term, but it seemed almost like incubators.
0: Yeah, no, they, they actually, that is the right term. They use incubators. That's what they call them. And so they had, uh, you know, these little, and we still have them, just
1: these teeny tiny diapers. There's like preemies and then it's like nano, or I forget what they call them. But. Yeah.
0: And then little, and little footprints also like the size of a yeah. thumb. Yeah.
1: And so, uh, you know, there, uh, once we, they were in the NICU, um, that's where the real fight for just both of them began. You know, them trying to grow, trying to, you know, keep on weight. I know both of their weights um, initially went down. That point is when we really, we knew that we had, you know, the boys had been born, born um, and they had, you know, they were surviving, but they were fighting every minute and hour and day was going to be crucial to their survival. At that point, we knew it was just trying to get to the um, to the next day. Uh, I'm a big college basketball fan, so as they say in college basketball, I'll survive in advance. So it was, you know, just surviving. Uh, you know, so every every minute, an hour, um, trying to get to the
0: next step. And then how long was, um, was Carrie in the hospital for after the cesarean?
1: Uh, it was a decent amount of time. So, so she was going to, supposed to be discharged on the sixth. They were born on the third, they were, they were fighting. So it was, that was an interesting component of it too. So you have, um, you know, Carrie dealing with the, um, you know, with the surgery and the recovery and, and, and. Um, so she was in the hospital you know in her her hospital room, and then you had the NICU that was across the hospital so um I was staying at the hospital and then um you know we would we would trek over and go see them in the NICU and then um go back to our room It was uh you know during that time we also uh so we had the visitation for my brother so yeah, that was on the fourth. So the day after the boys the boys were born, they were struggling, and so my wife, you know, she couldn't leave the hospital. So we went, and uh, I did the visitation for my brother, you know, greeting people and and dealing with that. And then, you know, back at the hospital that night, you know, and my family would, you know, go to the visitation, or they were all at the visitation, and then my immediate family, my my parents and my sister and. Uh, my wife's, you know, family, uh, her mom and dad and stepmom and, and, uh, sister, you know, they would come up to the hospital too. Um, as we were just trying to deal with this, this whirlwind that we had found ourselves in.
0: On the sixth, that's when she was going to go home. Right. So tell me about that day.
1: The sixth uh, is when things really, um uh, we had gotten some good news, um, on the fifth that the boys were, uh, uh, doing better that they had, you know, you know, made the first 24 hours, the second, you know, 20, made it 48 hours. Um, they had seemed to, uh, Jacob, who was in the worst, uh, worse shape than Jonathan, um, had started gaining some weight. So we were, we were getting very optimistic. Uh, my wife was set to be discharged that day. The funeral was actually for my brother was scheduled that day. And so we were the plan was is that my wife was gonna stay at the hospital. she was getting checked out later that day. Her sister and uh, mother were gonna uh, take her. I was gonna get up and go to the funeral. But we woke up the morning of the sixth um, getting a call from the from the NICU that uh that Jacob had taken a turn for the worse and that we needed to get immediately to the NICU. so um you know, we rush over and we they fill us in um, that just things aren't going well, that they had given them some additional medicine and, um, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't working. So they were trying a lot of different things, but they, they wanted us just to be near and to be with him because, uh, it was very likely that, um, he didn't have very long to live. So they, that morning they try a few things as, as sort of, uh, last-ditch last, last ditch efforts um, to try to, you know, preserve his life. But it became clear that uh, just being born that early and having that much trauma, uh, you know, his little body just couldn't take it. Um, so at that point, uh, they let us, they informed us that, um, you know, they could try a last-ditch, I think it was a surgery or some very, like, invasive procedure. We didn't know, you know, they wrecked the the. the benefits and the, the risk and the benefits, um, it just wasn't very likely. So after they had exhausted kind of all options, um, they informed us that, you know, that they would let us follow them. So the thing is, is that, uh, you know, I come from a, a long line of Cromers and we're, we're all very, uh, stubborn. And so, uh, in this, I'd like to believe that I passed on to my son, Jacob. And so the funeral is going on for my brother. Um, my family, most of my family is there at the funeral. And so they let they allow us to hold Jacob. And so my wife holds him because they think he's going to pass here in like an hour. And so she's holding him, but he just keeps fighting and he keeps living. So they still have the oxygen on him, but he's, he's still, uh, he's still fighting. And so we, after um, a couple hours, we switch to me. Um, so I'm able to hold him. And, uh, one of the really neat things is that Um, he kept holding on and fighting so that my, uh, parents and my sister and my brother and my close family, the funeral had wrapped up and, you know, they had gotten news that the things had taken a turn for the worse. So when my family was heading to the hospital, they thought that he had already passed, but he, he held on long enough that, um, my parents got to see him and they got to say goodbye. And, um, so my wife and just, uh, we held him as he, uh, as he passed, it was a very tough day. I like to say that it's a good day for a good day, um, just because that wasn't a good day. And so any day that's not that day, uh, that's not October 6th, is a uh, is a good day for us.
0: Wow. I mean, I, I can't imagine. I mean, for you and for your, I mean, your parents to you know to say goodbye to their son, and then a the grandson on the same day. Uh, I mean. Uh, I just can't imagine what what I mean, I'm going to get to you know obviously later, but I'm just like October sixth must be like just a horrible day on your calendar now. I mean what what happens on that day to you guys now?
1: My wife and I, we usually uh, take off the days right around there, and we usually uh, we go to the gravesite and we just reflect because through all of this hardship that we've been through and how bad that week has been, uh, we're still just reminded, you know how blessed we are um, as a family to have each other to have uh our son jonathan to have the family and the support system that we have that the thing is is that it didn't it didn't take long um being in the nicu um just to realize how fortunate you are i i'm reminded so much of uh a couple the very next day so we um you know so the day after you know september 6th you know there was another couple there and they lost one of their, they had had twins, they were in a very similar setting, the situation that we were, we didn't know the details, I didn't talk to them. But um, the setup that they had at the hospital is that they had, it was almost like group care is where the boys were kept. So Jacob and Jonathan were in two incubators, there were four in the room. And so there was a couple that had two twins. But we, what we're reminded of is that they ended up losing both of their sons, and they lost them on different days. And so I just, we're just very, we're
0: very fortunate. What ultimately um, happened with Jonathan in terms of his, his recovery and his growth?
1: He was in the NICU. He ended up being in the NICU for um, 129 days. So um, we weren't out of the woods yet. We knew that. So Jacob had passed. Um, we knew we, that Jonathan still had a long way to go, that he still had an uphill battle. Um, he had the the brain hemorrhage that he had. He's still being born so very early, um, underdeveloped lungs. He also, uh, when he was in the hospital, he caught um, some sort of uh, infection. Um, and so, uh, once he uh, he was in the when he was in the NICU, we were in that group room for a period of time, and then they moved us to an individual room. Um, He had caught the infection. So uh, every time my wife and I or anybody went to go see him, we had to, you know, gown up, uh, put on basically these full suits, you know, and gloves to make sure that uh, it wasn't going to pass anymore. Um, He ended up also having a um, hernia. And so uh, the whole, you know, the ride in the NICU was very much a roller coaster. And so we, we really adopted the phrase of, you know, cautiously optimistic because he would take you know a couple of steps forward and then you'd have some sort of setback or some sort of uh turn in his care and and the thing is is just being um able to just weather those um those little hiccups along the ride
0: wow and during this time uh, i'm guessing that your family all sort of you know latched on to jonathan's you know progress as like some form of hope or some sort of comfort over, you know, the the devastation that happened just earlier. I, I can only imagine that, you know, with all this despair, every sort of good news you get for him must have been magnified like a hundred times that, you know, finally something good, something good and moving forward was, was it like that?
1: Yeah, it was, it was absolutely. Um, the thing that what we found though, is that uh, we would be overjoyed by the good news, but you know, there would be So one of the big hurdles that he had is just with being born so early, the underdeveloped lungs. And so he was on an incubator, you know, the respirator, the tubes that were in his lung. And so um, he really struggled, you know, trying to to get off of that machine. Um, So they moved him to, I believe it was three different versions. So he would kind of like progress and um sometimes when they would move him to the next version of the machine or try to turn down uh, the level so that his lungs were he was using his own lungs more, his levels would spike, and you'd see the machines the family really came together and really were rallying and and, and just pulling for him to um to keep fighting
0: wow and then ultimately, so he he eventually did obviously he came home and how's he doing now, so he's i like guess two and a half. Three and a half, excuse me.
1: Yep, he'll be uh, four uh, in October. Yeah, so the hundred, we got through the 129 days. Um, he had to have a hernia surgery. Uh, he got through that. So he got to come home. Um, uh, the other thing that also that, that really was beneficial is um, my mother-in-law, uh, my wife's, uh, yeah, my mother-in-law, uh, she went to the hospital. I mean, my wife for the 129 days. I was working her the time. She was off. Um, her company was absolutely just amazing with the, uh, you know, the the grace and, and just ability that they were to show her my wife during that time. So she was at the hospital every day holding him, and uh, my mother in law was right there by her side. So she couldn't. Uh, we wouldn't have got through this without our family. But um, Jonathan got to come home. Um, we were on eggshells. Uh, you know, here it's it's one thing to have a newborn come home. It's uh, you know we. Became very dependent, and they had warned us when you're at the hospital because you, you're hooked up to all these machines, and so you have you have all these machines to tell you if something's going good or something's going wrong. And so when you bring them home, they're they're not. He wasn't attached; it. He wasn't on any oxygen, any machines. He was a little on the small side. I want to believe. I want to say he was like five pounds. I would have to double check on that, but I believe he had gotten you know from uh, originally being born at 1.9 pounds. He was in the five pound range. So, still a small baby, but, uh, we brought him home and, um, you know, it was a few months of just, uh, locking on eggshells, um, just making sure that he was okay. Uh, we were real worried about, um, uh, my, uh, him catching any kind of flus or any of that stuff. We actually, they, they weren't told us, um uh, you know, for the first couple of years. So, uh, we were very fortunate. Uh, my sister-in-law, uh, Uh, She stays at home with um, her kids. And so she was able to help watch him. So he wasn't around a lot of other kids or in a group daycare setting. Uh, But he's, he's progressed. Um, He's had, uh, we've, he's had to go to speech class and he had to go to physical therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, But the thing that what we found is that being born so early, everything's just a little delayed. Yeah. Um, But once he catches up, he, you know. He he gets it. So he talked a little bit later, but you know, now he uh he loves the run. I'm a talker, so he, he gets it from me. I'm not getting but uh he uh he really is a chatterbox now. Um physical therapy. Uh took him a little bit to walk, um, but now he walks and runs everywhere he goes and is just a very uh healthy, active, um three year old boy. He's in normal daycare uh, speech. Um, we're just very fortunate that given how uh, a dire things looked um, and how scared we were in the very beginning that this has had such just a positive outcome.
0: Wow. Does he know that he had a twin brother? He does not. We have taken him
1: to the grave site. Um, he's seen it and we've, we've talked a little bit. I just think he's not fully comprehended that, that when we go to the gravesite that that was his brother, that that's uh, his twin. I think that, it's something that we're not going to uh, shy away from. It's something that, you know, we'll discuss with him very early on. One of the nurses uh, got us a very cute sign that um, that's, that says that, you know, not all twins are meant to walk together. A lot of them sometimes flies. I, I think it's a quote similar to that, but um, it's a very cute sign that sits in his room right above his bed. So,
0: Yeah, and listen, I mean, when families have losses of, of either you know fetuses before birth or you know children who you know pass away shortly after birth, you know each family you know sort of has to figure out how they're gonna you know tell their story. And for many of them, the baby you know has a name and is one of their children and part of the family. And others are sort of less comfortable discussing that openly. And you know either with the other children or with their family and friends. And I I just think it's a it's it's a remarkable situation to try to navigate because who's you know who's trained for that who knows what to do and you have to find what works you know well for your family and 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 your own children and w- when you look back so you know it's been three years and you have this you know beautiful healthy son and at the same time you have this this story of you know loss of a child and a, and a brother and such a you know harrowing experience what do you take away from all of this
1: well takeaway is that uh my first thing is that I I realized that uh things could have been a whole lot worse. that I feel just very blessed and that fortunate that we were able to go to go through this. While I wouldn't wish this on anybody, um I do think that uh my family structure and our our love and, and caring for each other really prepared us. You know, if any family was gonna have to weather this, I think our family uh, was innately built and, and able to to handle this challenge and support system because I just feel for so many of the people that um, that go through situations like this um, and they don't have the support system and the in the family that that we have. And what
0: what did you take away in terms of? I know mean, you mentioned the anesthesiologist who this sort of you know this anonymous you know hero and the nurse and the NICU and people. What what other you know types of relationships did you make with? you know either the people in the hospital at the time or maybe a pediatrician early cuz sometimes i mean this is a very intense relationship you're there for you know 4 months essentially uh in the nicu how did that how did that work Yep. Yeah. uh
1: so we became very close um with uh a few nurses uh at the nicu cuz like you said you're i mean my wife would you know uh, we lived close to the hospital, so we didn't stay. She didn't stay at the hospital, but I mean, she would get up there and she would go there first thing in the morning and then she would be there all day during the day. And then um, we would have dinner. Uh, I would get out of work. We would have dinner and then we would go up there. and um, I would spend, you know, the the three hours at night. Um, so my wife was there all the time and she became very close to the nurse. Uh, we had a um, a nurse, uh, Brittany, which was just uh, a godson for us. Um, she was there very early on when he was in the, in the group area, walked uh, along with us, answered questions. Um, she actually helped coordinate, you know, other nurses. So if we find other nurses that we liked or that we really clicked with, um, we didn't have any bad nurses, so I don't want to say that, but just you're spending so much time there. Um, you just have, you know, these relationships that form. So she helped, um, facilitate having those nurses on Jonathan's care. We're very fortunate too that, um, you know, in, here in West Michigan, we have what they call a uh, medical mile. Uh, we're fortunate that we have the the DeVos family that has p- built just an amazing, you know, ch- children's hospital uh, here in Grand Rapids and that we live very close to it. And so those kind of combination of items that he just got, you know, exceptional care during that time and that we were able to, you know, build relationships with just amazing doctors who a lot of them you know, we, we still talk to to this day, even three years, three years later.
0: If a, if a couple in this similar circumstance, someone is either, you know, in the hospital at 24 weeks who might deliver, or they're having twins at that point, and they're worried or has a baby or babies in the NICU, and they, and they came to you, you know, say, hey, you've been through this, what would you tell them? You know, what what kind of things would you say to them in terms of advice or expectations or lessons you learned uh, that would be helpful to them?
1: I would tell them that, you know, that is dire the situation uh, may look at the time that take it one day at a time that you don't know the, how it's going to end up. Uh, we're very fortunate. Um, when we were in the NICU, uh, they want, they, the they do a good job of trying to pair you up with other couples, but the, the couple that they paired us up, um, they didn't have uh, a very positive or it wasn't what I would refer to a, a happy outcome in the story. And so the thing is, is that, the thing that I want to just communicate, and the reason for telling my story today, is that you know that no matter how bleak the situation was in ours, you know, from October sixth to the seventh and the eighth looked uh, very, very bleak. Um, especially after we lost Jacob, with no guarantee that we weren't going to lose Jonathan, and the the breathing problems that he was having, that it can be okay. That 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 we have here in the United States, we have amazing medical every single day that you know we would check into the hospital you would go through security and they had a lady down there and she would ask how he was doing and she would remind us you know she was she was born you know significantly early I don't remember the number of weeks but they said that they just you know referred to her as a prayer baby because you know what they did when she was born was you just prayed that you know there wasn't modern medicine wasn't where it was today where the there's these incubators and they're there's all this, um, you know, modern medicine that really can do remarkable things um, and take, you know, a baby that's born at 24 weeks and six days at 1.9 pounds and, you know, three three years later have a, you know, fully functional, healthy little boy. And we're just so very thankful and blessed
0: um, for that. Wow. Andrew, what an amazing story. First of all, thank you for sharing it. Uh, I appreciate it. I know the listeners appreciate it. And there's so much to learn from there. What Carrie and you and your family, um, A, went through and B, how you guys, you know, bonded together and, you know, the support you talked about and just the, the hope and the setting of all this, you know, despair to have hope and to fortunately, you know, in addition to having such sad things happen to also have such a positive outcome with your son. And I just think it's uh, terrific that you're. Uh, willing to share your story and and talk about it. And I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, Yeah. We're glad that, um, you know, we we hope that uh, no one has to go through what we go through, but for any couples that do find themselves in this situation that, um, that it's not, all is not lost, that not, is not to despair uh, that, you know, ask a lot of good questions and, and be an advocate for your child and, cautiously optimistic and things will hopefully work out for the best
0: wow thanks wow what a powerful story thank you to andrew cromer for telling his and carrie's story about their 24 week twins jacob and jonathan anytime someone delivers a 24 weeks it is truly touch and go for the newborn some babies fortunately do well but many others do not carrie and andrew experienced both outcomes and i think andrew's message about gratitude and hope are lessons for all of us thanks for listening and have a great day Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day.